hey, we've taken a pause from 2 Corinthians to think about Advent, the coming of Jesus. And we're doing that today, our fourth season, our fourth week of Advent, and it's on love. Love that came on Christmas. That's not hard to understand. Everyone knows God is love and Jesus is love. But, but I, what I want to lead with today is this idea for you and me that everybody wants to be loved. I, I'm not talking about the romantic kissy stuff. I, I mean someone that cares for you. Someone that knows you. Somebody that, that, that really values you. Someone who's actively after your good. Who lays down their life for you. Who is interested in your opinions and desires and, and all of that, right? Someone who listens and processes and is always for you. The question is, how do you get it? I was listening to a wise pastor once. He was talking to a bunch of young men, and he was talking about how they needed to get prepared for to be ready for marriage. And he was talking about how to make themselves attractive. You know, like get a job, take a shower, be established. All the things that would make sort of a young lady be interested in you because you, you know, we're, we're, we're ready to go, kind of, you know. Develop characteristics that other people like. And this is common. It's good stuff. If you want to love, be lovable. It makes sense in the world because people love what's attractive to them. I'll say that again. People love what's attractive to them. Not, Not everyone's attracted to the same things. But everybody loves what's attracted to them. We long for other people to validate us, to care for us. That can really dominate our relationships. You know, I I want my kids to see all that I've done for them. I, I, I want my wife to see how I've sacrificed for her. I just, here's the thing that's so important for us this morning. I want to lay before you in wonder and have us worship because God's love's not like that. It's remarkably different. As we worship and gather around Jesus, our Savior, this Christmas season, I want to think about his coming in terms of love and what it means for our lives together. So that's why this is called Love for Losers. I don't think it's hard to understand where I'm going to go, but I just want you to see the Bible is so strong here for you and me that you might understand this with your heart. Okay, so we're going to start with the arrival of love, which is Jesus coming. Of course, he is love, right? This is God shown perfectly in Jesus. If you want to follow, we'll jump around a little, but we're going to start in John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, there's this presentation of the coming king. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. It's talking about Jesus, John is, right? All things were made through him. Without him, not anything made that was made. Remarkable. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is Jesus, this isn't the baby who came. In fact, we know he is because later on there in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, the true shining glory of God and his heart for us, the angels singing, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The, 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 the love of God appeared. 
true attractive glory, right? I mean, the glory of the only son, that's what makes the arrival so strange. Why? Well, I mean, he's born in a cave. To unwed parents. He's really homeless at the time. Uh, the baby, you know, we think of cute as attractive, but actually, you know, lots of crying in dirty diapers if they even had diapers then. There's cleaning of bottoms to be done. I love that when it's my baby, but if it's not my baby, maybe not quite as attractive. Right? I mean, it comes with worry how to take care of a child. The child isn't self-sacrificially laying down his life for his parents. Really, it's the other way around, right? So this arrival, it signifies something different about the concept of love. Why do I say that? Because even all of what Jesus was, right? If I go to Isaiah, this great, amazing prophecy of the coming of Christ, right? This is Isaiah Chapter 53, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Huh? No beauty that we should desire him. What? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. These are the few verses that lead up to wonderful counsel, Prince of Peace, right? This is Jesus. Will you consider with me? I mean, you, at least understand the church fathers. Origen, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus. They were all considered Jesus to have been ugly. Ugly. Well, let me say the... Uh, God, the one who created everything by which the whole world comes together and he's coming to earth and he comes and he's, ooh. Josephus, let me give you, this is really fun, right? Josephus, fragmentary insertion, he, he, he wrote that Jesus was a man of simple appearance, mature age, dark skin, short growth, three cubits tall. That's uh, four and a half feet. Hunchbacked. With a long face, a long nose, eyebrows meeting above the nose so that spectators could take fright with scanty hair and an underdeveloped beard. I tried to think about trying to draw that and decided that would be heretical. Not supposed to have an image of Jesus. But you get the point. This is one of the main historians, earliest ones we have saying, what did Jesus look like? And he has a unibrow. Like you look at him with a hooked nose and hunch back. And you're like, what in the world? I don't want to be with this guy. You see, something's going down differently than the attractive, handsome actor, Brad Pitt or something, I don't know, that you'd put up and say, here's Jesus, man. Harrison Ford. Indiana Jones. Clement of Alexandria, he's one of the early church fathers, he took the, oh, but he had a great personality line. You know, he was ugly, but, but I'm but amazing. Yeah, did you see the guy got mad and started turning over tables? He like railed against the Pharisees. He wasn't like this soft, kind, gentle, oh man, I just want to be around him kind of guy. In spite of the way we paint the picture, soft night with twinkly stars and a warm fire with barn animals gathered around, Jesus came in a unique sort of way for the creator of the entire universe. If the point was to make people love him, to be attractive, 
So I, I just want to put before you that I don't think Jesus came to be loved. I mean, we sing it like, man, I love you, Jesus. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why his miracles were, were selective. Why his sign, they were signs of his authority, right? Rather than, you know, booster of his, of his popularity. He's like telling people, don't say anything. He loved, but he didn't seek to change water into wine or to feed people constantly, though he did that, you know. He, he loved his mom, he ended up doing it, but... He came to love, not to be loved. That's what First John says in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means kind of absorbing of wrath, you know. He loved us. That's the coming of Jesus. Uh, and you say, yeah, really us? Yeah, you know, I mean, John 3.16, you, you know what, I'll put it up. But for God so loved the world... The world. I think that includes us. That, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So when we come to the child, when we come to Christmas, it's, it's not a mar- Oh man, I want to love this child. It's, it's he loves us. He came. Because he loves us. What's remarkable about Jesus is not the love of the world for him. The world hated him. Not the love of the disciples for him. They ran away. The love of Christ for us. And for the world. In fact, that's kind of the singular focus. Uh, about his, Not his getting a following, but the people would open their eyes to the wonder of the love of Christ for them. Even and especially Christians, right? I mean, that, that's what we read this morning. I mean, that's Paul's prayer for, for the people of God, the church, for you and me, is that we might have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Comprehend what? The breadth, the length, the height, the depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's filling me with all the fullness of God? My comprehension of the incredible love of Christ for me, for you today. So here's the wonderful thing. He came. He came as a babe. He came differently than we expected. And he came because he loves us and he loved us well. We didn't really love him. His love was a bunch of theologians kind of say, hey, it was one-way love. I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't loved at all. Surely Mary loved her son, but, but that would be because he was beautiful to her. He represented hope in the next generation, and he was her son, and human love attracted to your child, and it's, it's not usually attracted as much to other kids. Jesus was the exact representation of God. Wow. He was the creator of everything. He was perfect in all of his ways. And in his perfect love, do you know what he did? He exposes our love. It's important to us because we worship this God, that this is foreign to us. So I want to talk about love exposed for a minute. 
Because, because of the way we use the language, and boy, I'll tell you, if there's one word that's been stretched to mean a ton of things, it's love. I'm going to love like God loves. No, the whole idea is that you don't love like God loves. You should, but you don't. That's this idea. This is going to be love for losers. Why are you a loser? You don't love like you should love. I'm talking to me too. I'm looking in the mirror. You know, we love in a different way because of our inability. The love of Christ, the one-way love that doesn't depend even a little on attraction, just on the giver, it exposes that we're not that way. I mean, a couple of examples. They're all over the Bible. You can, you can go all day on, on the pieces. Here's, here's one example. There's this rich young man that came running up to Jesus. Every indication in that um, chapter, this is Mark's account, Mark 10. And, and so Jesus was going to set out on his journey there, and this man ran up to him. How, how do I get to heaven? He asks this great question. He's rich. He's young. Every indication that he's, he's wow, this is a handsome man that's, that's quite the specimen, and he's doing the right things, and his heart's in the right place. He says, he says good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus is like, well, why do you even call me good? There's Jesus being attractive again. But then he says, do you know the commandments? And he lists, rattles off, you know, Several of the Ten Commandments there. Don't murder, don't adultery. And the the guy says, I've done them all since I was a kid. Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I don't think the guy's like saying, um, being a hypocrite. I I think he's like, I've I've, I've tried hard here. Yes, that's, that's how, so Jesus, you're, you're speaking my language. I've been trying to do this since I was a kid. I I, I see it. I want to go to heaven. Rabbi. And you know what the text says? It's so fun. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. It doesn't say the guy loved Jesus. Jesus loved him. And so he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And of course, you know the story, right? Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, this rich young man, for he had great possessions. He got exposed. I mean, I mean, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus is the, the only one that matters. And Jesus says, hey, I've got something for you to do. Just do this piece. You've been working so hard and doing so well. I love you. Do this. And the guy's like, oh, Guess I can't do that. I got a lot of stuff. I don't want I, I don't want to do that. You mean you love your stuff more than God? Here's another example. And not just how, but 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 who we love, right? You know this one. This is Luke 2 10. <clears throat> Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. He said, Teacher, what I gotta do to inherit eternal life? Same question, different guy. He said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He said, well, you shall love the Lord your God. I'm supposed to love God. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's about my love for God. All your heart, soul, strength, mind, your neighbor is yourself. Jesus is like, yeah, this is good. You've answered correctly, says Jesus. If you do this, you will live. 
Can you think about that with me for a second? If I would actually love God and love my neighbor sacrificially, I go to heaven. You want to go? Let's do it. What's the problem? Well, the problem is the guy, what the guy has, right? You know this passage with me because he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to say, I've done this. He said, Who's my neighbor? I don't want to just self-sacrificially love. I want it defined. I want to. I want you to tell me exactly what's going on, right? Hey, I can be attractive. Just tell me who I got to be attractive to. I'm, 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 I'm going to do this because I. It's a duty. So here, it's it's God's going to like me if I do this. So I'll do this to make myself acceptable to God. And so Jesus gives him such a story of love that the guy will never do. It's called the Good Samaritan. The whole idea is that he, he, he can't. It's like, yeah, per, perchance you would be perfect, you would go to heaven, but you don't love this way. Let me show you. And the guy gives a Samaritan who, for no advantage of his own, for nothing whatsoever, and nothing that the guy does for him, and no thanks that the guy does, he just gives and gives and gives because he loves him. It's not connected to him. In fact, he's an enemy. Think about your worst enemy, and God says, love that person self-sacrificially, even though they hate you. No, no problem. It doesn't matter what they think. You love. It's not our love. I can be patient and kind and loving if there's something in it for me. I mean, if my wife will treat me well, I'm all in. She'll smile at me. But if she's not where I want her to be, I start to get disgruntled. Give me a few days of me not thinking I'm being treated like I should be or calling out my lacks. Boy, I get all sad. I'm telling you, this is not a call to go talk to my wife about how bad I am. I'm plenty bad. She can testify. But, but I'm talking about my love. I love my family to death. I love my wife to death. But it's not the love of God. There's a lack there. There's a difference there. I'm self-oriented in it, right? We don't have this kind of love. But why, what, what, what does that make us? It makes us losers. I should have this love. I should be so loving that it doesn't matter if they go off a little or a lot. If, if I've pledged to actually be sacrificially loving towards someone and they mess up, it should just, why does that matter? But it does. Because my love's not what it should be. I'm the problem. I don't have God's one-way love. I got conditional love. And so many people, this is what rules us, is we kind of think we've, we've done more better at being more sacrificial than the next person. So we think, well, I'm good at loving. I'm doing a good job because I'm a little better than the person next to me. No, you're not. We're talking about Jesus. His amazing love for the sinner. Absolutely, wildly amazing. Jesus is totally different. The contrast is striking. He loves the lost. He loves the outcast. He loves the loser. So, so you have it, right? You have it in other parts of, of the scripture there. You've got 
For example, you have the woman of the city who was a sinner and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair there in, in Luke chapter 7. Remember that? And, and Simon comes up, man, if Jesus knew better, he would never let that sinner touch him. Hanging out with a prostitute. Right? You're supposed to love good people. So, so, so you have Luke 19, Jesus, he's walking through, the, through Jericho and this utter horrible sinner, an extorter, a tax collector, and he's up in a tree, right? The little tiny guy, not attractive. And, 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 and Jesus like Zacchaeus. Luke 19, come down. I could eat at your house today. Horrified the people around. Why? Jesus, that's not how this works. People clean up so they get acceptable to God. And, and then God says, yeah, boy, you're attractive. You, you took your shower. I'll come be with you. And instead, the love of Christ is so different. And what does it highlight? It doesn't just highlight how amazing Jesus is. It highlights how you aren't who you should be. Okay, I got a little clip I want to show you. Don't get offended. Or if you do get offended, I'm sorry up front. It's a comedy skit. It's about the German Nazis. They were bad guys. They were doing horrible things. They did horrible things. Do you think all of them realized it or thought they were? Well, someone did this little skit I want on the show. You, you might have seen it before. I, I don't know if you have or not, but we're, we're going to show it. Just, just, just 30 seconds. Check it out. Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit? <laughs> They've got skulls on them. Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? Uh, I don't, so... Hans... Are we the baddies? It's funny. The guy goes through, hey, realizing that, that the Gestapo actually had skulls on them, and say, well, didn't they know they were, they were the bad guys? But the answer really is, he didn't know. We don't know. We think we're doing great. We think, oh, here I am working on these things, but not, oh my goodness, I'm the baddie. I'm the loser. I'm the one that doesn't match up to the amazing love of God. You know, when God came and he just loved, and he loved the sinner and he loved the lost and he loved, and I don't love that. I love the clean. I love the guys who are attractive to me and the people that I think are doing well. And, and I go through those whole things. And the problem is, we're the baddies over and over. That's what's exposed in the Bible. What love exposes is that the love of God is a one-way love for us. And those who receive it are the losers and not the winners according to the world. Right? The first shall be last, and the last first is a pushing towards this concept, this idea. I mean, morality, so called obedience, the ways in which we think we're making God like us, pleased with us. Well, what is pleasing, rather, is the truth that salvation is in receiving that Jesus loves us. So, for example, in Luke 18, and again, you know this parable too. Two men went up into a temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And, and, and we can't feel enough. I can't say the words enough to say the Pharisee's the good guy, the moral one, the, the, the worker, the, the, the cleaned up one, and the tax collector's the horrible sinner. 
He extorts money from his own people. He steals stuff from his own people. He's lining his own pockets. If you were around that person, you'd say, man, I might love you if you stop doing that. Right? The Pharisees stood off and prayed, God, thank you so much that you've made me a good person. I, you made me attractive to you, essentially, right? I'm not like other men's extortioners and unjust or adult. I'm not like that guy. Fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. And then there's the sinner, the loser, and he's standing far off. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, and he beat his breast and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Jesus is really clear. The man that went down to his house righteous, justified, good, rather than the other, is, is the loser. Why? Because his whole idea is, could I receive the love of God? Right? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. We're the baddies. Our hope is in the one-way love of God for us, not in God making us awesome lovers. He came, and how he came as a babe, and how he loved the lost and the losers and the nobodies and the bore lovers shows this incredible one-way love of God for us. Look at what we get, we who have nothing. (laughs) Love came, and love exposes, and then just one more little piece before we're done, I want to share about love creates. Because this is the unique thing about the love of God. I mean, you can say, Dax, you know, you're making a pretty good case for Jesus' love being the thing, and we're talking about his life and his interactions, but you know we're at Christmas, and, and I just want to feel good about the baby in the manger. We want to sing Christmas songs and open a gift and have peace on earth and goodwill towards men, and, and that is what this is about, because this is love. God's love, it's so beyond you and me because it's precisely the love of God for us and that accomplishes what he wants. He came, right, this babe, so unexpected, so small and ugly and not attractive to our way of thinking and he acted in love for us. Not to get us to love him, but because the truth is that he did love us. That's the truth, right? He proved it. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He proclaimed the good news. He went to the cross and he died, killed by the very people that he loved. And what he promised is that he would send his spirit. Has he sent his spirit? The spirit of God, the paraclete, the opener, the comforter, the one who births faith in us. That's John 4, right? That's what we've come to know and believe. Look, look what we've come to know and believe. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God's love, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Do you you, you see what John's saying? He's saying, hey, the main thing, the thing that we've come to know is not how great we love. Oh, it's good to love. Love is amazing. Please love. And then the reality is I don't do it that well, but I believe this. He loves me. He loves you. This is what makes me Christian is I trust this. Not I've come to love him well, but we've come to trust what he said, which is he asked us to do because he's not trying to make you beautiful so he can love you. He loves you. 
right? That this is really why the, the, for man's love, for our love, we, we avoid sinners and evil people, right? Because, because they're not attractive. But here's Jesus, and he says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love them. So if I've come to know and believe the love God has for me, then I've got to know I'm a sinner. That this is the whole message of Christianity. You know, Lazarus, take Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember that? John 11. But you realize who Lazarus was. Oh, he's a friend of Jesus. Yeah, what does the Bible say about him? Well, there it is. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He was particularly someone that Jesus loved. Right? How about John? He wrote the gospel of John. Remember John? And he's writing the gospel. Remember how he, what he calls himself? The disciple who loves Jesus really better than you. No, what does he say? You remember, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining a table at Jesus' side. That's John's self-reference as he writes the gospel. It's like, there I am in John 13. I was sitting with Jesus. I'm the one Jesus loved. That's not exclusionary, by the way. Like, he didn't love you, he loved me. That's my self-reference. I'm loved by Jesus. His love makes what he wants, which is his people. I mean, because do you see what his life and death and resurrection has done? It's made you. He makes sinners righteous by his gift. God's not the one who waits to approve those who've improved themselves, who've made themselves acceptable, merited approval, but the one who bestows good on the bad and the needy, the lost, the little, the loser. That's us. Okay. A couple quotes for you as we end. This is one from a commentary. It says, This love of God that creates its object is contrasted absolutely with the love of humans. Human love is awakened by attraction to what pleases it. It must search to find its object. And one might add, will likely toss it aside when it tires of it. This is human love. This is our life today. And yet, this Sunday, we celebrate Christmas. The love that came. The actual love of God. He came and because he loves us first, he acts. Not, not anything we do. Not anything about our response. Not anything about making sure we've done. But he has acted for us. He creates what he wants. That means it is good news for losers. Not that they work to become winners that God will pick, but that his love creates what he wants. So sinners are what? Made righteous. How? The love of God for them. So the weak will be strong. So the losers will win. So the lost will be found. So the little will be great. This is the message of the kingdom that we proclaim with all our heart. Then the message of Christmas, which is Christ for us forever. This is amazing. You might feel guilty today because you may think, I don't love God as well as I ought to. Welcome to the club. Nobody does. 
You might think, I don't love my spouse as I ought to. I don't love my kids. I don't love my parents as I ought to. All of that is the weight of your own navel-gazing, which will push you if you are at all sensitive to the knowledge and reality that you fall short. And so we come to this place and we worship our Savior because he came and he just loved. He loved us who deserved nothing. B.B. Warfield put it this way. He said, there is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we're acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake or we cannot ever be accepted at all. This is true not only of when we believe, it's also true after we've believed. It will continue to be true as long as we live. Our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relationship to him or to God through him ever alter. No matter what our attainments and Christian graces or achievements or behavior may be, it is always on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. So I call you today to rest. In what? In the babe. God in the fullness of time sent his only son. He would do everything we need because he loves us. It is nowhere clearer than our absolute dependence on the resurrection from the dead. We all die. And our faith, our hope, is that God will raise us from the dead by his power alone. You are loved. He doesn't stop ever. He's not dependent on making sure you love him back. He just wants you to trust that your hope is in him. Would you? It's true. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wonder of your son come to earth. We do not deserve you. Lord, we who come here and we read this scripture and we let its message into our hearts. Lord, that you might give us hope and peace and especially a trust of your love for us. Then in coming to earth and living as you did and dying for our sins and raising from the dead, Lord, you would be real to us. Thank you that you care for each person in this room. And Lord, we desire to have our hopes and our trust in you alone. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.